This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the MomWell Podcast. Today, I am excited to welcome a reproductive psychiatrist, Dr. Katherine Berndorf, to the show. Dr. Katherine is the co-founder and medical director of the Motherhood Center in New York, and she's co-author of the book, What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood with Dr. Alexandra Sachs. When you live in the motherhood space as much as someone like Dr. Katherine does, as someone who's founded the Motherhood Center, as a professor, as an author, as a regular contributor to the media, you begin to have a bird's eye view on the motherhood experience. You begin to see themes emerge in people's journeys. And while we're in our own individual experience and feel so isolated and feel like maybe we're the only ones that are experiencing this or who feel this way or feel like we're failing, she's been able to have this perspective, this bird's eye view to see these themes that reemerge and has been able to articulate them and call them out so clearly in her book. I've invited Dr. Catherine here today to help us understand what some of these themes are. And also, does this experience have a name? It does. It's called matrescence. And she tells us all about what matrescence is. She explains that while each of our experience into motherhood is so unique, there are also some universal truths and experiences that we go through. And it can feel encouraging to know that this is a part of the journey and the transition and that it's not just us. We hone in specifically on the difference between expectations and the reality when we're in the motherhood role and the impact that that can have on our mental health and the role that this overparenting or intensive mothering has to play on the impact and adjustment into motherhood. Dr. Catherine and I have been trying to get together and coordinate for a really long time to have this chat, and I'm really excited for you to tune in. But first, let's hear our iTunes review of the week. This review comes from Mountain Queen, and it's titled Brilliant and So Needed, a brilliant and honest podcast looking at a fantastic set of topics, really needed by moms everywhere. You can tell a lot of effort has gone into this podcast, and it makes all the difference. Subscribe now. Thank you so much for leaving this review. Your reviews help us to do what we are doing and to continue to offer these resources and build this community. We really pride MomWell as a podcast and as a platform as being built on evidence-based practices and information. You'll notice that the guests that we bring on are credentialed therapists or doctors who hold licenses and have gone through all the training needed to become specialists in their field. And we do put a lot of effort into making this a safe and reliable resource. Thank you so much for recognizing that effort. And I'm so happy and glad that we get to put out these episodes each week, offering you all such quality feedback and teachings from experts all around the world. Now let's hear this conversation with reproductive psychiatrist and founder of the Motherhood Center, Dr. Katherine Berndorf. When was the last time you truly felt like yourself? If you're not sure about the answer, it's time to think about your mental health. As moms, we often put ourselves on the back burner. From the moment our babies are born, our days and nights are full of responsibility, leaving it hard to sleep well, eat properly, exercise, or take care of ourselves. The more we neglect our own needs, the worse our mental health can become, leading to depression, anxiety, or other mental health struggles but your mental health matters. 
We know you're busy, so we make it as simple as possible to connect with a therapist. Our qualified maternal mental health specialists are here to support moms across Canada and the United States. It's time to put yourself back on the priority list. Find out if we serve your area and book a free 15-minute virtual consultation at momwell.com booking. That's momwell.com booking. Welcome to the MomWell podcast, where we're committed to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host, registered psychotherapist and founder of MomWell, Erica Jossa. At MomWell, we know that motherhood is hard, but care shouldn't be. We're committed to providing you with knowledge, tools, and support to navigate the challenges of motherhood. Our mission is to put moms back on the priority list and empower them to create a mental wellness toolbox free from judgment, fear, and shame. On the show, we'll be discussing topics such as postpartum depression, identity loss, the mental load of motherhood, and more. We'll be joined by experts, moms, and professionals who can offer advice, practical tips, relatable stories, and honest conversations. Here at MomWall, we believe that when a mom is well, a baby is well. So join us as we discuss the topics that matter to you with experts who get it. Together, we can redefine motherhood and change the way moms are treated. Dr. Catherine, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. You and I have been trying to make this happen for some time now. And, you know, running the motherhood center, like all the things you've got going on, the books, all the things, the fact that you're taking the time to be with us is really exciting. So thank you for being here. Oh, it is my pleasure. I'm sorry it took so long to make it work, but I'm really excited to be here. Oh, no, I'm so excited. And in preparation for just a deep dive that I do for interviews, I listened to your book. I like audiobook things. Uh-huh. Like I have taken a lot of books and I have to say your book is called What No One Tells You, A Guide to Your Emotions from Pregnancy to Motherhood. This is the most comprehensive, like, preparing for what you will emotionally experience. I do this work with a lot of moms and there are nuances and subtleties that I've picked up in working with them. I feel like in and out of session. Mm -hmm. And I feel like all those subtleties were addressed and called out in this book in such a great way. So this is like going to be a new top recommend for me for anyone who wants to emotionally prepare because you guys nailed it. It's fantastic. Thank you for saying that. It was a labor of love as are most things where your heart and soul and all your work and everything you've ever done goes into it. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to not overdo it. So I'm glad you felt like it was comprehensive and readable and not too much, but everything. Yeah, no, it was great. And it was like, it's the normal average experience and not the more like you in the appendix is maybe the more unique or more like clinical experiences. But I feel like it was just a very great broad overview of this, like things that don't get spoken about, like even how grandparents can react to the fact that their little grandbaby has been born and they go through their own like role adjustment and things. So yeah, big time. it was great. I loved it so much. Yeah. So, okay. I got to know, like how in the world did you get to this place? Like what's the story behind like the motherhood center in New York? And then I- I'm assuming that that open the doors to give way to the book and some things. How did you end up in the role you're in? It's a journey probably, hey? Yeah. (laughs) It's a journey. It's a journey. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it started when I was a kid. I was always interested in people listening to stories and reading. 
Judy Bloom was my hero or my heroine, you know, like, and I just was always interested in stories and people and what made them tick. And they always told me their problems. I was a young kid who, you know, adults confided in. I'm sure that's its own problem. And don't worry, I've talked about that in my own therapy. <laughs> but that was always me. I was always that kid. And I became that college student and that adult who wanted to listen and particularly to issues that affected women. And I was interested in reproductive rights and thought a lot about going into OB. And I ended up in psychiatry when I figured out I could still be involved in the movement if I were a psychiatrist and that I could do women's issues through a psychological psychiatric lens and listen to stories and not have to, not, not have to, it's a privilege to be able to deliver babies and do surgery. But I was like, that's not my um, love. I love to spend the time with people. Mm -hmm. So I was kind of always on this journey and I, I didn't know I wanted to do that in college. So a couple jobs that I got after college, part-time gigs in a halfway house and in a women's clinic really showed me that I was beyond thrilled and thought, oh my gosh, can I mix these things? Can I do this? And I mm. found myself in med school having to go back and do all my medical stuff because I hadn't done pre-med. And um, I ended up at Brown and uh, it was so warm and fuzzy. And I'm saying that about a medical school. And they mm -hmm. just really allowed me to develop in many ways this interest. And when I got to residency, I knew what I wanted. That's great. I knew when I got to that training, when I was a doctor, that I wanted to do everything at the intersection of OBGYN and psychiatry. Yeah. Like it was very clear, but from a talking psychiatric way of thinking lens. Mm. Does that make sense? And that's what mm -hmm. reproductive psychiatry is. I'm giving you the long answer and I hope that's okay. But it's kind of like I do psychiatry between menses and menopause, right? From when a girl hits puberty all the way to and through menopause. And now I only do what's called perinatal psychiatry. So now I only do before, during, and after pregnancy. So that was a piece of it. And I used to do all of it. And now I've become even more subspecialized. One of the things I loved about training, and by the way, there was no training. It's a new, it's very up and coming reproductive psychiatry. It's very hard to find reproductive psychiatrists. Like it's Ugh. very, yeah, it's in the works. It's still fairly new. It is. And when I was doing this, I had to seek out my own training and education. Mm. In the early 90s, when I was interested in this, and then mid 90s, there were like very few people doing this. It was sort of the generation ahead of me had been doing it kind of in their own silos. Mm. And I'm a resource finder and a connector. So I was going everywhere and asking to be mentored and could I work with you and could I do this? And and by the time I had the ability to kind of do what I wanted, you know, after I got my MD in 95 and could start to create things, again, I was going and pulling things together, but I don't even know if we had a name for this field mm -hmm. yet. Mm -hmm. Like to really call it reproductive psychiatry was just becoming a thing in the late 90s. And when I started the training program at Cornell in 2002, and really that was a way to teach others what I couldn't get myself. So I'm, I'm very big on that kind of way, giving back. Mm -hmm. Like what this book is, as you mentioned, is a way of giving to anyone who could read it. That's a much more accessible way of hearing everything I've said in my office mm -hmm. since 1995. I don't, you know, mm -hmm. like it, it's just a way of making it accessible it's been a struggle, but like, I mean, I have no complaints, but it's just been hard to do. So I, I am a, <laughs> I don't take no for an answer. Mm. I'm kind of one of those people who is like, you say no, I say, 
where do I have to go to get this done? Mm-hmm. So the motherhood center is actually a culmination really of everything I've ever done. I mean, the book was the verbal version of it, right? Like trying to write it down, what gets said in a consultation room at any one time about all of these particular issues that, you know, I've seen come up for the years or through the years. And then the motherhood center is for me, it's the culmination of my career. I started it at 50, Mm, right? mm. And sorry, I'm talking about my age, but I'm, I'm a big proponent of sort of saying like, do it. It's never too late. Keep going. Yeah. You know, and now at 57, we've been open for seven years and it is booming and I have so much more to do. And my goal is to, my mission is to change the landscape for women's mental health, Mm. maternal mental health, and provide things that haven't been done, but that we know work. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I'm sorry, I just had a huge run on paragraph sentences (laughs) of (laughs) nonstop. It's so interesting. I was having a conversation with uh, Dr. Sophie Brock, a sociologist out of Australia. Mm. And she had said when she was going down a motherhood studies route that a lot of the feedback is like, oh, like why moms? Like why? Like this area of medicine and research and and things has just not been seen as valuable for a very long time, right? And so to see the work that you've done, which has paved the way for the work that I can do, and it's really great to see there is more awareness happening and that, you know, we're valuing mothers' time and mental health and the care work that they're doing and the household work that they're doing and all these things in a different way. And it does feel like it's slowly shifting in large part to centers like yours and the work that you do. Yeah. It's unfortunate that women were not part of early research studies because really because of their reproductive capacity, right? You know, because Mm. they were different or because they could be pregnant or you didn't want to screw them up if they were, right? So there are lots of reasons for it, but really, you know, most of the research we have in medicine has been done on men. I read a statistic. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get it wrong. You're going to have to Google it for yourself. But something like the entire clitoris wasn't mapped and understood until like 2000 and 2000, something, 2010, 2000. And I'm like, I mean, pardon? <laughs> like how? Because because that is just how skewed medicine has been to male yeah. bodies that we didn't have a full Absolutely. understanding of how like female anatomy worked. And I just found that mind blowing, but mm-hmm. also like a telling sign of how far behind we are yes. with understanding women's like bodies and, and reproductive systems, yep. but also hormones and how the, the interwoven sort of pieces of mood and hormones and all these things that we're getting more clarity on slowly. Mm-hmm. So that blew me away. I was like, how do we not even know like about the physical body? Like mind blowing. That's really interesting. I agree with you. I'd love to, I'm going to look that up yeah. because I don't, I don't know that answer, <laughs> but am I surprised? Not even remotely. I know. Right? I know. We've come back and forth about like what to talk about today. And I feel like one of the gifts that you have is the ability to take a bird's eye view on motherhood and see the whole sort of process or transition. And this is something that you named in the book and that you've been able to name throughout the work that you do. And you also wrote with Dr. Alexandra Sachs in the book, mm-hmm. like matrescence being a name for this adjustment that we go through in motherhood, because yeah. I think that like, I certainly wasn't prepared. I think a lot of people are blindsided by just how jarring or big or mm-hmm. kind of pulling out the rug from underneath you kind of feeling this transition into motherhood can be. 
So talk to me a little bit about the name matrescence and what it means and what this experience is. Sure. It's not a very popularized word, which is why we were so excited to put it in the book. Mm-hmm. We didn't coin the term. Dana Raphael, I think, is the person who coined the term many decades ago, and others have brought it to light. A colleague of ours in New York City, Orly Athen, you know, writes and has a matrescence lab. There are people doing this work, and now it's much more out there, but still, what is it? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Mm-hmm. It's not a word that's in common parlance. If you think about it, it's like adolescence. It's matrescence, mm-hmm. right? It's, it is the becoming of the transition into motherhood. And you could argue it's not been called a developmental stage because not everybody goes through it. Mm, I see. Where everybody has to go through adolescence and other stages of life that are developmental phases. Mm-hmm. But matrescence is not, you know, everyone doesn't go through it, but those who do know and if they're able or can get the education around it, can learn about it beforehand, but it still doesn't prepare you for what is this rocky road into the biggest life change you'll ever go through. Mm -hmm. Not saying it's more or less an adolescence, which was a hell of a time, as we can all recall, but it is its own thing. It's creating another human inside of Mm -hmm. you, which is just still blows my mind that we have the capacity to do that to get them out into the world safely, to think about it, worry about it, love about it. And then who are you after, mm-hmm. right? Who do you become in that single liminal moment between there's a baby inside of you and then there's a baby outside of you in a split second and mm-hmm. now you're, quote, a mother. And it gives me chills just even to talk about it and think about it. It is so big, it's almost hard to comprehend. And so we're trying many people and people like you who are talking about it and thinking about it and people studying and researching about it are really trying to put words to this. To me, it's the most profound journey mm-hmm. that I have the privilege of having. And and I and I, I don't mean that you can't have profound journeys if you're not a mother at all. I mean, I think it is a choice. Mm-hmm. And I want to be very clear that it's not for everyone. And I think that I wish I had considered it more before I did it. I just thought that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You know, and I I wasn't prepared. And I'm happy to talk about that too. But I don't think it's for everybody. And I really appreciate that. And I have two daughters now, 21 and 24. And they'll say to me, what do you think about us having kids or me having kids? And I'll say, it is so up to you. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And they're like, gosh, well, I'm a pain in your butt. Mm -hmm. Do you think my kids are going to be like this? I'm like, "Uh Mm uh-huh. Yes, I do. (laughs) It's going to be tough. But like, I couldn't love them anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I really think to myself... It is painful. I never considered not having kids until I had them and thought the loss of them would devastate me to a place that I couldn't function or live. Mm -hmm. And that was not something that had ever occurred to me before I had kids. So it's a mixed bag. Mm -hmm. But I'll tell you, that's the hallmark of motherhood, the ambivalence of it, the mixed bagness of it, the good and bad, the both and, the not it's perfect or it's horrible, that it is everything and all those things, often at once. Right. And I think that this is such a key part of this adjustment period and this, you know, I think of like sort of core tasks of matrescence that we go through or however, where there's some key things that we're working through during that time. And understanding, accepting, or like moving through the ambivalence or just acknowledging it and accepting it is such a big one 
Because there's such a romanticized ideal about what motherhood will look like, right? And I very similarly, like, I don't even think I stopped to ask myself, like, do I want to have kids? Like, to me, it was like, we got, we are married. We've been married for a year or two. Like, this is what we do now. This is the next step. And there was really no, like, critical decision-making process that was applied to the biggest decision of our entire lives, right? And Mm. would I have decided to have children ultimately? Yes, probably. But would I have mothered differently or known differently from the beginning? Yes. And, And this is a large part of why I'm writing the manuscript that I'm writing is like, we can mother and not have it consume every ounce of our being, right? Like there is a way to find balance isn't the word because I don't like balance, but there is a way to mother and hold yourself still and to like hold your own identity and not not lose yourself. Mm. But this process of having this really romanticized, like, oh, we're going to snuggle and wake up together in bed every morning kind of ideal to then the utter chaos of being a first-time mom <laughs> and not knowing a single thing about feeding and feeling anxious and not sleeping is one of the first really jarring experiences where when you start to have negative emotions about your role or doubt or contemplate your decision, like, ooh, did I mm-hmm. want this? Is this, am I not good at this? Is this me not being meant for this role? Is this, you know, am I not maternal enough? All the things that people think. Mm-hmm. And we're left with that tension then, not realizing that everyone goes through this same part of this transition, right? So well said. So well said. And I think what happens if it's not named and it's not talked about, it becomes shameful. Mm-hmm. It becomes a secret. Shame is a secret, right? It's a secret and the, the that you keep even from yourself that you don't want to know, that you don't want to admit, like, this is hard and maybe I made a mistake. Yeah. And- I think that every day. I think that all the time. The women at the Motherhood Center, you know, again, and all the women I've treated over the many years say the same thing. And they all walk in and say, I'm going to admit something to you that I have not said out loud. Mm -hmm. And I always think to myself, try me. Yeah. Try me. Yeah. Try to tell me something I, you know, that that I haven't heard from the woman who came here before you, Mm -hmm. that was here just before you. It's so common and it is held by women, by all of us in this painful kind of secretive way, because that's not what you read about, see about, see on the, you know, in the movies, this romanticized version is so pervasive Mm -hmm. that there's no space for this other piece of it, which is (laughs) a far bigger part of what it is. The messiness of motherhood is far bigger than those snuggles in bed, Mm -hmm. which by the way, I wouldn't trade for anything. But, you know, what happened the moment before and the moment after that beautiful snuggle is left out. Yeah. Yeah. The chaos is always around the moments of beauty and connection and joy. Mm -hmm. Those come in moments. And the more moments you can have, terrific. And that makes for a great day. And it might just be a beautiful minute or moment or hour. But, you know, when you think about being a mom and what your day is like, it's very complicated. One of the most relentless mental loads is being the juggler of medical appointments. Researching doctors, reading reviews, making phone calls to book appointments, it's a lot of stress when you're already juggling so much invisible labor. That's what makes ZocDoc great for moms. 
ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of highly rated in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. ZocDoc has doctors of all specialties, including therapists, psychiatrists, and psychologists with verified patient reviews so you can make sure they check all your boxes. You can find mental health providers who offer in-person appointments, virtual consults, or both, whatever works for you. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. Sometimes you can even book same-day appointments. Make juggling appointments easier with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com momwell and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash momwell. ZocDoc.com slash momwell. Mealtime with kids can be stressful, but with Factors Delicious ready-to-eat meals, it can be a lot easier. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to eat in just two minutes. No worrying about ingredients and nutrition, no prep, no mess, and no cooking while wrangling toddlers. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, including popular options like Calorie Smart, Keto, Protein Plus, or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover more than 60 add-ons every week, like breakfast, on-the-go lunch, snacks, and beverages to help you stay fueled and feel good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started today and fuel up for your springtime goals. Factor can even be tailored to your schedule. Customize your weekly meals with the flexibility to get as much or as little as you need. Pause or reschedule deliveries to suit your lifestyle. Take the stress out of meals with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use code momwell50 to get 50% off your first box. One of the concepts that I had never heard framed this way that I took away from the book was this idea of you found out you're pregnant and you are, you know, growing this baby and attaching and and then you are also developing this uh, like idealized or ideal mm-hmm. baby, this baby in your mind that is not truly the baby that you're growing. There's like a gap here. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that for us? And I think we can touch on that a bit because I think part of this in pregnancy is what sets us up mm-hmm. also in the postpartum for a big gap, right? Right. Right. Well, you're starting to have a relationship with this growing person in you, right? Mm-hmm. And you can't meet that person. You can't know the person. You can only feel at some point the development and the changes, but in your mind, you start to develop a fantasy about what this person will be like, mm-hmm. who this little person will become, how your relationship will be, who you are relative to them. Will you be a good mother? Will you be like your own mother? What will they be like? Will they look like you? Will they look like your partner? Maybe they'll look like the donor that you use. I mean, who knows, right? Mm-hmm. But you're having all these ideas on and on. And that is kind of what's happening in the brain, part of at least what's happening in the brain during pregnancy. And it is absolutely normal or typical to think about the future, like what's happening and what's going to be. And to your point that for some people, when the baby arrives 
And there's such a difference between what they expected and what they got. Mm -hmm. There is a lot of distress because you're kind of like, hold up. I wasn't expecting a boy Mm -hmm. or I wasn't expecting a redhead or expecting a this, that, or the other thing, or someone who has a a medical complication or problem that, you know, like there are just so many ways in which what we expect are not going to be met. And sometimes what you're expecting is exceeded. Right. Terrific. But I often say to patients, the difference between what you expect and the reality of that, expectations and reality, that gap between the two is mm-hmm. the measure of distress. Mm-hmm. Just an easy way to kind of say, like, if expectations are, you know, here and then the reality is above it, you're like, yeah, right? Like, and if they're way, way below it, there's a lot of distress in that delta between the two. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. You're so speaking my language here. And I think that what happens as a recovering perfectionist myself <laughs> and somebody who's very A-type, you know, you hear like, okay, expectations high and then reality and you hear like lower your expectations as if you're like settling in some way and, you know, we get ourselves tripped up. Like I want to have high expectations because, mm-hmm. you know, that's the best way to do it. What really trips clients up that I work with is not being flexible Mm-hmm. with the expectation or the ideal that we've attached ourselves to. Bingo. So when we find ourselves in a situation where the data of the situation or the information has changed mm-hmm. and we still want to hold on to that ideal, my friend, we have a problem. We have a big, big problem because if I'm now has set this expectation or this ideal of what motherhood is going to be like, and I, I enter the reality of it and I do not recalibrate my expectations Not because I'm failing, not because I'm not good enough, not because I couldn't live up to them, but because the reality of the situation and the data and the load on me and the reality of a day in the life of this role is so different than I could have even imagined, Mm -hmm. then I am really struggling, right? Because I'm holding myself to an impossible measure and I'm floundering and I'm still expecting in my suffering and in my you know, distress and everything that I should still be here. And that is just, that's like self-torture that is. It's just so difficult. Yeah. And I think you're exactly, uh, you know, you know yourself well. And I think a lot of the women that struggle at this period of time are those who are the most perfectionistic, Mm -hmm. who have high expectations, type A's, you know, who are overachievers. I think sometimes, you know, the expectation is you can nail this, like you can nail your grades or your job Mm. or your whatever, and you can't nail this. Mm -hmm. Like you don't actually have control. It's messy no matter who does it. Like you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's got this down because there's nothing down to get, Mm -hmm. right? There's no end point of like, I got it. Yeah. It just doesn't exist. So it's a false expectation. That was the free fall for me. Like Mm. that was the feeling like there was no like ground beneath me because there was no arrival point. There was no Mm -hmm. end point. There was no, oh, you've got this. And I mean, there is confidence that builds. There is a level of doing things day in and day out that you start to build up a sense and a wisdom and an intuition over time Mm -hmm. and these types of things. So around my second, I had a lot more confidence in 
sort of some of the fundamentals, but then I'm dealing with an entirely new temperament and an entirely new baby. So I was novice in a lot of different ways, even still. For somebody who values, I call it mastery. It's probably perfection. It's probably a lot of things. (laughs) That feeling of not being able to do it right. In an intensive mothering era where all we want to do is be perfect, all we want to do is get it right for fear of screwing up our children or harming them or being Mm. judged or not feeling like we're measuring up in our role. We just so badly want to get it right. And when there's nothing, there's no like rightness that you can concretely measure or do. Oh man, I burned myself way out in the, you know, early postpartum. And I had three littles back to back in three and a half years. So by Mm. the time my third came, I was like, you know, postpartum depression, anxiety, all the things because I just had not, I had not let go. I did not have the flexibility at the time and I didn't have the perspective or the understanding of what was happening Mm -hmm. in this role identity shift. And you put some really interesting language to this in the book because I've not IPT trained. Mm -hmm. I I will be now that I read the book and I want to go and learn more. But from what I understand from the book is that IPT therapy, interpersonal therapy calls out role transitions as a big, mm-hmm. what, high risk time? Walk me through this a little bit. Well, I think it uh, it's, and again, that's not my particular practice and expertise. So take this with a with that caveat. Yeah. It identifies role shifts or different highly common transition points mm. where people are going to struggle and puts a therapy to that. Mm-hmm. So it's very practical and it's very helpful. So I think, you know, you can engage with a therapist who uses IPT techniques. And to your point, you can also learn more about it in a number of ways. But I love that it works around different kind of transitions in life. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it makes it very accessible and very practical and very useful. So Mm -hmm. we spoke about it in the book, but yes, train away, learn more for all of us. Yeah. Well, I'd never heard about it in the like language of a role transition before. Because like when we think about adolescence and we think about identity, like I've thought about it in terms of identity shift, right? Like internal kind of identity shift, much like what we go through in adolescence when I had like every color of hair in the rainbow probably yeah. and things like that. But this also, this role transition, this like maybe we identified ourselves as such and such in our career but how we operate day to day, I don't know. It feels like it goes beyond identity. This role feels like it is more descriptive of like the all-encompassing pieces that mm-hmm. are transitioning during this time beyond just like internally, like everything, your time, your focus, your finances and where they go, like everything Absolutely. to do with this role now shifts. And mm-hmm. yeah, I just had never seen it from that perspective before. Oh, I'm glad it was so elucidating to use. I mean, I'm sure that the originators of IPT would be so thrilled because it really does highlight all those things, right? And there are so many changes that you don't expect, Mm. that you don't imagine are going to be impacted in this, what seems to be a monolithic experience, which it's not. Mm -hmm. It's so multidimensional and everything changes, everything. You are never the same again. And I think that it's one of the few roles that we step into that we don't have any training ahead of time for, right? Like I think about even the role of being a Starbucks barista, okay, in university. (laughs) Do you know how much training I had to do and coffee tastings and descriptive words for how the coffee felt on my tongue and all of these things just to work an espresso machine? 
And yet I stepped into parenthood. I had no clue what I was doing. And so I think that there are probably like a lot of different role transitions or transition times in life where they have the potential for sort of upheaval. Mm -hmm. But I'm like this one, when people say like parenthood has no manual, like we have zero experience and we're thrown into the deep end and it's just wild to think about. I love your Starbucks story. I think that's so great. And it's so true because the only thing you need, and I think this is still the case, to leave the hospital as a new parent is a car seat. Yes. And I had to have a car seat in New York City where I delivered my first kid. I didn't have a car. Oh, but I had a car seat. Oh, seriously? Yeah. You can't leave the hospital. That's so... You live in the city. You don't even drive a car, but you had to have a car seat seat. to exit the hospital? Oh, my gosh. I didn't need, you know, clothes for the baby. I mean, maybe they would have taken a look at me and said, sorry, you're not leaving. But like, there was nothing else that was... It's sort of like, that's the big thing. Don't forget the car seat right? Well, what else am I supposed to do? I put the kid in the car seat and then what? How do I get the kid out of the car seat? And what do I do from here? Yeah, Literally nothing. Like the context of placing that in New York where you probably take Metro and don't even have a car is just adds another layer to the example. Like absurd. Yeah. And they watch you, make sure you put them in this car seat properly. It's a whole right. procedure, you know, leaving the hospital. And then I remember sitting in the back seat, just like watching them go over every bump on the way home. Like, are they, are they okay? And just right. having no, no experience, no preparation. And I mean, part of it is that through our romanticized ideals of parenthood or through our societal beliefs of these things being biological Mm. and that they will come online when baby is born. There's a real like lack of urgency to seek out knowledge before you're in it because, you know, good moms, they know what to do. They just know what to do. It's natural. It's a weird like chicken and the egg situation where like, even if I was told to prepare ahead of time, I'd be like, I got this because it just didn't know what I know now, I guess. Yeah. Well, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you can't know because the experience of it is so other dimensional. Like you almost can't be prepared for it. Yeah. I'll never forget when I was in training and I, I was really interested in postpartum depression and I went over to the OB department or the nursing or wherever where they were doing the like teaching moms about having a baby, you know, in these very kind of physical ways. I said, I was a resident and I said, can I talk to the new moms about what could happen if things don't go right psychologically? Mm -hmm. Like if they get anxious or if they get depressed and they looked at me and basically said, get the hell out of here. Mm -hmm. Don't scare the moms. Mm -hmm. Why would you come and say this to our patients and put those ideas in their heads? And I was like, but if we don't talk about it, and it happens to them, it's going to be so much worse. Mm-hmm. And a little knowledge goes a long way. And I kind of got run out. I was sort of like, the, I felt like the Grim Reaper. Mm-hmm. And being who I am, I sort of <laughs> said, well, maybe we could talk about this in another setting where it's not so hot. And we, I, I sort of worked hard to warm them up and let me speak about kind of the postpartum transition from a psychological perspective. But they basically said to me, don't use those words. Mm. Like, be very careful with your words because you're going to scare people. And I still think that sentiment exists. I think so, too. And this was from the the nursing department in, you know, around labor and delivery. It was kind of like, come on, don't do that to these ladies. They're going to have a good experience. And let's just, it's going to be natural. Mm. And I'm not, listen, this is not, I don't mean to be down on anyone or any institution or thing. It's more just, 
so pervasive that this still exists that we can't talk about stuff because it'll scare people and that they can't take it in. Now, to your point, maybe you can't take that much in because you do need to sort of channel all your positivity or all the knowledge you're getting into like making this go well. But if you're not adaptable and you don't have the flexibility that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. you're going to probably be in a little bit of trouble yeah. because you got to be able to roll with it. And that just sets you right up for motherhood because there ain't nothing that goes as planned. Mm. It is always an improvisation mm-hmm. with a little bit of instruction that you pick up along the way. But, you know, we're kind of making it up as we go. And it's funny to see my kids as they've gotten older, look at me and say, wait a minute, you didn't know what you were doing? Like you, you, you dressed us in that or you fed us that? And I was like, yeah, we had no idea. Mm-hmm. We were just trying to keep you alive. Mm-hmm. It wasn't with like great forethought or we didn't know what to do. So it's amazing that you can know so little and be responsible for the life of another human being. And I think this whole, like, let's not burst their bubble kind of mentality, like, it's like a, I don't know, slippery slope or like a fine balance. Because I think that when we have martyred ourselves in motherhood, sometimes we want to go such to the extreme that we're like, oh, just you wait. Like, we want to, like, actually instill fear. And that is, you know, problematic in itself. But I think that what you were saying with your approach from a psychological sort of psychoeducational perspective, much like your book, like now that we're talking about it, I really see it as like the what to expect, you know, book, but for... Thank you. That's how we sold it when we went to pitch it to the different publishing houses. We said, no one's done this. This is the psychological what to expect. That's exactly it, where it's like you want to know maybe what's happening in your body or how big baby is and stuff. But this is really like the what to expect from the emotional adjustment, you know, identity pieces. And I think that when faced with being a new mom and wanting to do it well, people take like prenatal classes and they sign up for the things that are recommended to them by their physicians to do. Mm -hmm. And so if these types of things were woven into that type of training or in those settings, whether I'm fully ready or positioned to take it on or not, I've been exposed to it. I have the pamphlet. I have, you know, some frame of reference for the fact that this isn't just me. And then I will go back to it when I need it. So exactly. So talking about it still is important, even if we're not in a stage of readiness to receive it. It's still important. Perfectly said. It's so true. And that was a hope with the book, right? That grandparents or new parents or siblings or like that anyone could use it or gift it or learn from it at different points, at different stages, because, you know, kind of as a resource book, mm-hmm. right? That you can't take it in all at once. We give sort of a trigger warning around the labor and delivery chapter, because if you're not there yet, you might not want to read. Like I get it, right? Not everybody can take it in all at once or will retain it if that's not where they're at. Mm-hmm. But I do believe in the, you know, knowledge being power. And if we aren't helping women or birthing people to know that they can know more or learn more if they choose to, then we're doing them a disservice. We're fragilizing them, mm-hmm. right? We're treating them as if they can't handle it. I don't believe that. We are tough. Mm-hmm. Women are like, I mean, I don't know about you, but like my experience is the tougher gender. And I know that's a wide range, 
but I think that, you know, to be a mom, whatever that means, is the hardest job. I mean, hands down, everything I do every day, <laughs> it's easier to work at my mm -hmm. job than mm -hmm. it is to work as a mother. It remains the most rewarding, but most difficult thing I have ever done in my life. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. not gotten easier as the kids have gotten older. <laughs> so I don't mean yeah. to be, you know, negative preview, but like it just gets, you know, little kids, little problems, bigger kids, bigger problems. It's just different. Yeah. You're always being challenged. Want to get smarter about your health, but feel overwhelmed trying to separate fact from fiction? We hear a lot about gut health, microbiomes, and other nutrition topics, but taking the time to research these is exhausting, and there's a lot of misinformation out there. The Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast makes it so much easier to get the information you need. With the help of world-leading scientists, the podcast gives you research-based information so you can make informed choices for yourself without pressure and guilt. People are loving Zoe Science and Nutrition. Listener Stephanie's Apple Review says the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast is a life-changing, science-based, myth-busting podcast. That's a must-listen for anyone who eats food and wants to understand how it affects their body. With the Zoe Science and Nutrition Podcast, you can join Stephanie and millions of others accessing quality information about their health. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Mom rage often leads us to feeling ashamed. But the truth is that our rage doesn't mean we're bad moms. In fact, anger is a sign from our bodies that our needs aren't being met. As moms and therapists, Dr. Asherine Areem's Psyched Mommy and I understand mom rage. We know that we all lose our cool sometimes. And we also know that with the right tools and strategies in place, those moments happen less often. We've teamed up and combined our years of experience to create all the rage, raising kids with less anger and more connection, a course designed to be your go-to resource for preventing and handling your anger. We dive into what causes your anger, how it impacts your body, how to reframe your thinking, and how to stay calm in triggering moments. And because we are all human, we also include strategies for repairing after we inevitably lose our cool. In honor of Maternal Mental Health Week, you can save $20 on the course with promo RAGE20 this week only. Don't miss out on your chance to save and make a positive change. Head to momwell.com slash rage and save with code rage20. That's momwell.com slash rage, code rage20. I have used the index on the back of the book already so many times to be like, okay, matrescence, where is it mentioned? I'm going to go read it. Okay, roll identity changes. I'm like flipping through and well, reading because it is like in the same way that you would go to a, a what to expect for you, kind of like that manual to consult. Like, is this normal? If I just like mm -hmm. so desperately want to know, like, is this a common thing? And I can consult it going through those stages. One of the things that was also brought up in the book that very few people have named and I've had conversations about a lot on the podcast is how we find ourselves straddling our past while we're now mothering. And I was so excited to see that in there because this is something I speak so much about because it's so prevalent in all the therapy conversations that I have, but it's so rarely named mm -hmm. that when we become parents ourselves, our interpersonal relationships 
with our family shift or like we are now one foot in the present and parenting and also kind of in the future thinking about how we want to raise them while also now so in the past and reflecting on how we were raised that it also brings up a lot of those complex emotions that I think we're generally not prepared for or expect. Mm -hmm. It really does. And I was just having a flashback to saying to my own mother, wow, I can't believe what you did for me. Like, Mm. I can't believe what resources you had to draw from everywhere and particularly from the inside to like have me and deal with me as an infant and as a toddler. Like I had so much more respect for that period of her life. And she was such a young mother. She was 23 when she had me. Mm. I think, how the hell did you do that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I always, you know, I love and respect my mother, but I had a whole new level of like, wow, and I tortured you and I'm sorry. (laughs) And I want to just tell you how grateful I am for what you did for me that I mm-hmm. could never have known until I experienced it myself. So I'm going through it myself and just see how hard it is. And listen, she was anything, you know, but perfect, but that's not a goal. Mm-hmm. And I just think that we really gain perspective when the intergenerational experience comes online mm-hmm. and you realize that now you're the mom and you have a kid and yet you still have a mom, whether she's alive or not. And the thoughts, it comes back, it almost is, um, it's a very common experience to be sometimes flooded by that, to thinking about kind of what that relationship was like. What did it mean? How was I parented? What do I want to do for my kid? Oh my gosh, that was terrible what happened. I'm going to do the exact opposite. Or Mm -hmm. that was so great and I can't live up to it. Right. All of a sudden you find yourself in this weird position of thinking about everything that ever happened to you in the mother-child or parent-child relationship and evaluating it anew and -hmm. thinking, is this what I want to do? And that's a lot of what the therapeutic work is around matrescence. It's kind of picking and choosing and becoming aware of who you are and how you want to be as your own new mother to a child. Is it going to be similar or different or what will you keep or what will you jettison in terms of how you were raised and What about your partner's family, if you have one, and their preferences, and how do you reconcile that? I mean, it's a cluster. Mm -hmm. It's not just you and a baby. It's really complex. And I think that there needs to be space to talk about that so that, again, it is on the table and we can name it and think about it and therefore make choices about how we want to behave and how we understanding how we feel will then help our actions be more constructively informed. Mm-hmm. It makes me think about conversations I've had with clients where, just as you said, like either they had like a great upbringing and they feel sort of the pressure to live up to that, or they've had like a trauma or they're viewing it through the lens of a parent's eyes now and saying like, how could they behave that way? Mm-hmm. Or how did they not, you know, kick their addiction when staring at a little helpless baby? Like these types of things that come yep. up with like, how could they not want to do everything they could to make themselves better, which is what so many of us feel, especially when we're really trying to like prove ourselves in our role. So this anger or like another level of grief or these things can just really wash over people. And Mm -hmm. it's unexpected to be faced with it so closely again. 
but also so common. And that's what I love about how you approach the book was that it's normalizing these emotional experiences that are common and like it's not pathologizing it at all if it is outside of rose butted glasses, right? Like this is the true real experience and it's not scary. It just is. And be prepared because these are the things that we are going to need to cope through. And not that you can't, like you definitely Mm -hmm. can and you can manage and you can cope and you can cope all the more effectively when you're a little bit more aware about what you're going to face, right? Because naming it and knowing, oh, that's the thing. That's what they talked about versus feeling like, oh my gosh, this is just me, like you said, or going underground with it or feeling like it's a secret. There's something about that validation and that just naming it that makes all the difference. Absolutely. And I think that's what, like at the Motherhood Center makes groups so powerful, Mm. right? Because the one-on-one experience or reading a book, I mean, you're still singularly doing that, although you're seeing yourself on pages or you're being validated by a therapist or a counselor who might say, we see this all the time, or this is very typical or normal. And then take it to the next level of groups where you have community. Mm. They're so powerful where you see yourself coming and going and you're just mind blown about, I can't believe other people are who don't look like me or who do look like me or who are coming from different places in the world have had different, you know, traumas, big T, little T, different experiences in life. And we all feel we have these common experiences that just make you feel so not alone. Mm -hmm. They remind you that there is a universality to it that knows no boundary, Mm -hmm. right? Or limitation by who we are or where we came from. I mean, many, many differences. And then there's a core of universality that we all share one way or another. And when you're in a group and you can talk about it and feel held by the group Mm -hmm. and feel understood and seen, you're done with the shame of it. You're done with the secret. You're able to connect and others are so helped by your story. And that's what you do, you know, talking and sharing and writing. It's so powerful to reach many to say, you're okay. Mm -hmm. It's not just you. And it's not just you. Yeah. It's all of us. Yeah. Thank you for that. And I think that that is so powerful in the work that you do to name these common themes of the transition that we go through and in this adjustment and in this role and to say, hey, heads up, Mm -hmm. this is to be expected. We all go through it. Yeah. Helps to normalize it, helps to take the shame out of it. And then I think also if we do get stuck, helps to encourage help-seeking behavior then too, because it's not our fault, you know, that, that we're struggling. That's right. That's right. And I think so many people blame themselves and think it's just me and you don't know. And I know I have a bigger problem. And again, you're not to blame. Mm -hmm. You know, people always want to know what's normal, what's not. But when you cross that line into what is potentially like a real depression, a real anxiety, because everyone's anxious and everyone can have up and down Mm -hmm. moods and mental states. But when it's persistent and it's getting in the way of your life and it's making it hard for you to do your daily activities, that's different. Mm-hmm. And you're still not to blame. Mm-hmm. You don't cause that. These are biologically derived illnesses. And we have to talk about it with that kind of frankness so that people understand that, like, whatever, you have diabetes, you have depression, you have asthma. All these things mm-hmm. are just regular medical issues that when they're named and when we can talk about them and diagnose them, we can treat them. And that's the best part of the work I do 
It's mm-hmm. like people generally, to your point, are very motivated. They want to do better. They want to kick that addiction or clean up their life in a certain way. They're motivated for treatment. They're motivated for change. They're motivated for treatment. And the big headline news is people do well and get better when they have crossed that line over into illness. These are the most treatable bread and butter, not a problem, just got to get to the right help. Mm -hmm. And it's super treatable. And almost everyone almost invariably gets better with treatment. Yeah. It's the most rewarding thing to be able to be alongside someone on their journey and say, I will hold your hope while we're in this process of treatment. And then you will be able to take it back and know what it is to be well again. So encouraging. And I think I just want to leave it there. I really appreciate that message that it is just when you do seek out the help, I think we sort of grin and bear it and fight Mm -hmm. through and try and convince others and convince ourselves. But when we admit or sort of just accept that we are struggling and that maybe it is outside of the normal common range, once we finally do that, then truly enjoying motherhood starts to begin, you know, when you get the treatment that you need. And there's no shame in that. I encourage those who are going through pregnancy, postpartum, or maybe contemplating going through it again and want to have a a help guide or like a reference for the emotional experience that they're having, encourage them to go get your book, What No One Tells You. Totally not sponsored, totally just out of my authentic, absolute love for the work that you've put out there. And uh, where can people find you, the Motherhood Center, buy your book, all the things? Where can they find you? Well, like everything else, right online. Mm-hmm. You can Google it. You can Google, you know, Amazon or local booksellers. There are many places to buy it, but but if you Google it and you'll find the book and you'll find the Motherhood Center, you just have to have the the in there mm-hmm. or my name or whatever. You'll find more information about the work and you can read about the center, which again, we do a lot of support groups and advocacy and education in addition to treatment, like outpatient treatment therapy, psychotherapy, psychopharmacology. Mm-hmm. We didn't get to talk about this, but one of the other big things I love to talk about is like that if you are not well in pregnancy or postpartum, that you can take medications. Ooh, maybe we'll bring you back to talk about that because that's a big one. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, it's still, again, it's one of these things. We still have women. I'll write prescriptions. They'll go to the local pharmacy to pick up their Prozac or Zoloft and they'll be shamed by someone in the store. Maybe the pharmacist says, um, you're pregnant. Does your doctor know that? Well, mm-hmm. yes, yes, I do. Or a GP will pull them off of all their psychiatric medications without warning. And then it's, yeah, it's a problem. That is really where I started in this field was really understanding the psychopharmacology and the physiology and the psychology of that, of medications in pregnancy and postpartum. Mm -hmm. So that has been my academic specialty. I will talk endlessly about it, about the fact that there are very few things you cannot take of the FDA-approved psychotropic medications, two of which I named. I Mm -hmm. should probably say sertraline and fluoxetine and not use their trade names. There are very few you can't take. Mm -hmm. So There are many options for you to be well while you're pregnant and breastfeeding and nursing. Yeah, And by the way, try not to use a medication if you can. But if you need it, and that should be determined by a collaborative consultation with a reproductive psychiatrist, we treat people from all over the country. Mm-hmm. And if we can't do it for you, places like Postpartum Support International, they're postpartum.net. Mm-hmm. They're basically a giant referral source 
We've been very involved with them and they will help you get to the right person. We will, if you call us at the Motherhood Center, we'll help you get to the right place and help you think about options because there are so many choices and you don't have to suffer. Suffering is not strength. Mm-hmm. It's to me, it's sometimes I just can't understand. You know, I work with you. You don't, can't make anyone do anything, but it's just, we have so many things as options to help you get through an experience mm-hmm. that don't mean you're less than or weak mm-hmm. or somehow having a deficit. These are medical illnesses. To me, it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they can be treated without medicine and sometimes they require medicine. Yeah. And I think from our perspective, being able to see the impact that medication does have on the clients who see it, and then we're in a room with, you know, somebody who might really, really need it and then be, you know, wrestling with it, which for many valid reasons, it's it's a really, it feels like a really, really high stakes, you know, decision to make. And I respect that. And you need a good consult to sort of talk through it. And in the end, you make your own decision. No one makes that for you. But the judgment about it is what I take issue with. Mm-hmm, and the, mm-hmm. like, I know better. I don't know better than any patient that's sitting in my room. I have some information that I can share with you. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to make the decision and I'm going to help you make the decision that's best for you. Mm-hmm. I can't make it for you, but neither can somebody else who's judging you for what you decide to do. Passing judgment. Not helpful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm going to knock on your door for that I one. We're going to have that conversation. I've also got lots to share from a perspective, too, of clients who've been, you know, faced with all sorts of those, mm-hmm. like, stigmas and things. So I know that people can find your book wherever books are sold. We will link your website and the Motherhood Center Terrific. in the show notes. Yay. Again, so happy that we got to have this time together. Dr. Catherine, thank you for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the work you do. I really mean this when I say that Dr. Catherine's book, Every Step of the Way, had me nodding along in agreement that, wait, this was my experience. I went through this emotionally, or my family dynamics went through this as well. And I also saw all of these themes in my clients, the subtleties and the nuances that she picked up on in her book. I especially loved talking about this ideal baby that we're forming in our mind versus the real baby that's actually forming because this gap in our expectation really does lend itself to dissatisfaction, disappointment, and upset in the postpartum period. If you are struggling to adjust to motherhood or if you are experiencing gender disappointment, There are so many complex emotions and stressors that come up in the time of getting pregnant, in the postpartum, and onwards as we continue to parent our littles. And we've got just the team to help support you through this journey. To book any free 15-minute consultation with one of our mom therapists, head to momwell.com slash book. That's momwell.com slash book. I'll see you right back here, same time, same place next week, where I'm being joined by Holly Pretz, a pediatric occupational therapist, helping us with some sensory self-care methods for moms. I'll see you right back here next week. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for resources or links from today's show, or you need a refresh on anything we've talked about, visit our show notes. You can find the link in the episode description, or you can head directly to momwell.com slash learning center. To join the MomWell email list and be the first one to know about new episode drops, insider info, or freebies, head to momwell.com slash newsletter. Join me next week. 
Until then, remember that you have to be well to mom well. Settling is not an option for Everything I desire is already mine. What if you can have it all? Because every day is for the girls. Hello, hello. Welcome to For the Girls podcast, hosted by Victoria Alario, For the Girls Who Want More. Listening to For the Girls will have you ready to raise the bar, stop settling for the bare minimum, and start believing you can have it all and step into the 2.0 version of you. You can catch a new episode of For the Girls every Monday across all podcast platforms. Until next time, girls. Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today, we talk brainstorms with UX designer Brian. Let's go. First question. You thought you'd see everyone's idea in the team brainstorm, but you've got a grand total of one. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, right? Because in Miro, the team can add ideas now or later. And with privacy mode, we can keep them anonymous until they're good to share. Correct. Next, you need the best way to explain your idea, but all you have is a few sticky notes. Drawing board or Miro board? Drawing board, because, you know, in Miro, I could record videos, add text, images, links, and digital sticky notes, of course, present my thoughts the way I want. Right again. Now, you're looking for a past idea you thought was just genius. Only you could find... Oh. There it is. Drawing board or... Miro. Our finished and unfinished work lives in one place. And he's one. Join over 60 million people getting ideas noticed in Miro Brainstorms. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com.